Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey, Seattle Kraken podcast. Um, this is, I mean, there's no sugarcoating it, right? We're recording this before the game uh, tonight for us, RJ, against Tampa Bay. Coming off that Florida game, coming off the two games before that, the, the two overtime performances with varying different results. Um, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Seattle Kraken here. We did our, you know, kind of what's wrong thing last week. I think we got some clarity on some things, but also the waters seem a lot murkier somehow a week later, RJ. So we're going to be diving into all of that on the deep dive, kind of just, I mean, we're just going to go into everything that we can think about everybody. That's just kind of the way we got to do it. Uh, but before that, we'll talk news and notes. But before that, RJ, got to thank our sponsor, Queen Anne Beer Hall, for sponsoring the podcast. As always, Queen Anne Beer Hall, I mean, just fabulous place to be watching you know look two of these three games this week rj went to extra time can you imagine a better place to watch three on three overtime than just in a, a beer hall filled with kraken fans everybody watching it together going through the highs and lows of the back and forth play like that is the stuff that sports is made for Absolutely. The atmosphere is always awesome there. And especially with the Tampa game coming up today, I think about uh, the Kraken playing against the Tampa Bay Lightning last year and how we had, uh, you know, went to the beer hall yep. there. It was a home game, but we went to the beer hall afterward, got to meet a lot of you, a lot of members of the community and just had a great time at the Queen Anne Beer Hall. So those matchups against those teams, Tampa, Chicago is another one. We had the watch party there. Yep. They always remind me um, of the great moments there last year. And I'm sure a lot more great moments going to happen this season. Definitely, definitely. All right, so news and notes, RJ. The biggest news is we got another line change. So the last time we had a line change, it was heading into this week uh, where we saw you know Ty Cartier go up to the top line, Jared McCann drop down. Um, we have a new line change for tonight's matchup against the Lightning. That's right, we do. So uh, changes on the first and second line. So Oliver Bjorkstrand getting moved up to the first line with Ty Karche and Maddie Beneers and Jordan Everly going down to the second line with Jaden Schwartz and Alex Wenberg. So Dave Haxtell talked about it this morning. He kind of downplayed the significance. He said, you know, it's a minor change, just something to give the guys a little spark because those two lines, they hadn't really been scoring over the last few games. Just something to give the guys a spark, give the guys a jolt, try and get that scoring going. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Oliver Bjorkstrand has played really well. I think he's been one of the Kraken's best forwards over the last several games. And uh, I think he kind of earned this promotion. And maybe, I don't even know if you call it a promotion, but just something to try and get Matty Beneers going. Something to try and get that line going. And you take arguably your best forward over this last little stretch. You put him on that line, see what he can do. I like that idea. Uh, Jordan Everly hasn't been playing poorly. We talked in the post games mm -hmm. about Everly and, and with Beneers and with Cartier and how they've been generating chances. They've been getting looks, just haven't been able to finish. Uh, I think he's going to help uh, with Wenberg and with Schwartz, and we'll kind of see how that trio does. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting one. At first, I was just kind of like, huh, what, why? But then, yeah, as I was thinking about it, I, I think there's some benefits to adding, you know, a, another creative player to that line in Bjorkstrand I think that could help wake Maddie up maybe um, and I think it might just gel better with Ty Cartier in some ways than maybe Jordan Everly's style as well so um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that um, line shakes out and what they're able to do uh, but yeah I mean at the end of the day we'll get into it later but the Kraken lines are maybe not as bad as their production is saying I, I, 
I don't know. It's going to be complicated, everybody. We'll get there. We'll get there. The other um, big piece of news for the Kraken has really been Shane Wright and his performance down in Coachella Valley. Um, I mean, they're, he's just heating up RJ all over again with the Firebirds. Absolutely. And I, this is what we were kind of hoping would happen from the start of the season when Ron Francis got the ability for Shane Wright to start the season in the AHL to play there this year uh, is that the hope was Shane Wright would get some opportunity down there, start to build some confidence, start to heat up. And it looks like that's what's happening. And I, I think the play that really caught everyone's attention was last night scoring the overtime winner against the San Jose Barracuda on a power play in overtime with a really nice shot from the point. I mean, that's that's that Shane Wright wrist shot that we know. Yeah. Right. Um, and he's started to heat up. He's got three goals in five games in the AHL so far this season, add an assist there, too. So it's four points in five games. He is scoring at you know, nearly a point per game pace. And that's kind of what we were hoping to see. So uh, that's a good sign, even if we don't expect to see him with the crack. And soon, I certainly don't. I think you want to keep this going. I made my thoughts very clear on that uh, on the last Deep Dive podcast. I don't yeah. think they should call him up. But um, just keep that momentum going. And maybe down the line, he could be some really good, uh, a really good reinforcement. Yeah, and I, I think so. I think this is all doing exactly what the plan was. And it's it's just good to see him jumping at the opportunity that he's getting now RJ Wright and you know some of the stuff we talked about from the preseason from training camp from dev camp going back into the summer was just him you know working on his offensive game finding that confidence finding that you know wanting the puck and being aggressive about that and wanting to go out there and be like the guy right that's something a lot of people have wanted to see from Shane Wright and I think the numbers are starting to reflect that now that he's with the Firebirds. And I think, you know, especially a situation like that where you're scoring the overtime game winner, right? Puck on his stick. He just walks in, right? He's not looking to dish that at all. He is, he knows he's going to shoot and score. And that's exactly what we all wanted for Shane Wright. So it's great to, to see it happening for him and happening so quickly too, just five games into the season. So love to see it for Shane Wright. Yeah, and that's a position, too, he wouldn't be in in the NHL. I think we need to remind ourselves yes. here. If the Kraken had a power play in overtime and Shane Wright was on the NHL roster, he's not out there. And no. so he's getting these reps that he needs in those situations. Exactly. Um, now, before we go into the deep dive and everything that was going on there, let's talk about the week that was, RJ. The Kraken played three games since the last podcast. We had a, a thrilling overtime winner, uh, a less thrilling overtime loss, and then we had whatever the heck that Panthers game was, RJ. Um, this, it was an interesting week to go back. I don't know that we need to go like game by game entirely, especially because you missed a lot of that Red Wings game. But I think the one thing that needs to be talked about most of all is the fact that in all three of these games, RJ, the Kraken had two goal leads and found a way to have to go to overtime twice and then if not for a bad, ridiculous bounce off the glass, you're probably going to overtime in all three of these games. That's right. I mean, blowing two goal leads, it was kind of a theme this week and an unfortunate one. I mean, you can look at the plus side and say, well, they're getting the two goal leads. But still, even though it is, as you mentioned on the last post game, you know, it's supposedly the dangerous, most dangerous lead in hockey. You still have to be able to keep those leads at, at least, you know, maybe once in three games uh, to get more points for you. And yeah, the Kraken have just, They've kind of struggled when they've had a lead. Uh, there have been some kind of careless mistakes, as we'll go over when we do the deep dive of, you know, what's causing them to blow these leads. But it, it's absolutely been a theme, and it's something that, you know, you, they have to turn around. You you can't keep playing 
I guess, you know, scared or just mistake prone hockey when you have a lead. I, I don't know what else to say about this, really. You just got to be able to hold the lead. I know it, whether it's, you know, look, you, you give up a couple, you know, three straight power play goals like in the Detroit game or, you know, again, it's another power play situation in the Panthers game that kind of gives the Panthers momentum and they're able to get two in 11 seconds. Um, it's just, it's something you have to be able to take care of. You have to be able to defend a lead. You got to be able to just defend in general. And I think the big moral of the story this week was, look, if the Kraken can't score a ton of goals, they need to play kind of shut down games and try to grind out three, two victories. Um, and instead we saw multiple three, two losses for the Kraken instead. And so that is something let's just, let's just go ahead and jump into the deep dive. Let's just talk about this, RJ. I mean, Look, it, it was great to see the Kraken come back in Detroit, right? You get the Jared McCann goal to tie the game up with, I think, a minute 22 left in that one. You get the Jordan Everly overtime, overtime winner with five seconds left on the clock on the great feed from Jared McCann. Like, it was really cool to see that the Kraken can still do that, and especially they can do it in a game that they were handing away earlier in that third period, right? They walk into the third period with a two goal lead. They watch that evaporate with three power play goals to basically start the period for Detroit. It was really, really great to see that the Kraken had that ability to come back in that game, hang in there, stay in it, and then show up when they absolutely needed it. I think that was something we really needed to see coming off of that last game from the previous week against the Rangers, RJ, where they just looked lifeless. So I will say there's a lot of positives from that Detroit game. If you ignore the blowing the lead thing yeah and it's something that i think we needed to see from the crack and something i think they need to see in themselves that they were capable mm-hmm. of doing that after a lot of losses and especially the ones in close games uh you know you beat carolina 7-4 but in, in games that really come down to the wire they need to show they could do that um and and i'm glad to you know kind of hear that from you so i'll just full disclosure i didn't really get to watch most of the detroit game i watched the first period missed the rest of it i had a speaking engagement at my alma mater and um i only heard like in the middle of class somebody you know in uh one of the students said oh yeah by the way the Kraken won in overtime. I'm like, oh, cool. Um, but, you know, g- good to see that they could come back from especially something that could be demoralizing, like, you know, losing that lead in the third period. I mean, were they up? Was it 3-1 or 4-1? What was I, it? I believe it was 3-1. Yeah, up 3-1 going to the third period. And and when you lose a lead like that, I think it was, yeah, then Detroit came back, made it 4-3. to three, yep. And all of a sudden you're trailing, uh, you know, that you don't give up in that moment. I think that does speak to the mental fortitude that the team has, um, you know, in a respect. But um, but still, you know, I, I think um, I, I, I don't know where I was going with this because I didn't watch the game. I'm <laughs> sorry, know, Dylan. No. no, it's okay. I mean, it's it is a thing, right? Like you need to be able to to have that you you want to have big time players you want guys to show up in in big moments and and that was what that game was it was jared mccann coming through when the team absolutely needed somebody to right and and picking up a late power play goal it was jared mccann again making that great play to jordan everly to to win the game and, and avoid a shootout which is something we know the kraken struggle with right so you know winning it in overtime is is generally the best thing that the kraken can do And so it was just, it was really, really solid because those are things that, you know, as a fan, you want to see. Those are things that you want to know your team is capable of so that you have hope in games where you're down by one and the the clock is slowly ticking away right in the third period. You want to know that your team can hang in there and make something happen. And that's the power of that Red Wings game. 
On the flip side, then you have the Carolina game, the next game, RJ, where the Kraken have a 2-1 lead going into the third period. And at some point, I mean, around the halfway point of that third period, it just started to shift. And it was just an inevitability, it felt like, of Carolina tying that game. And that's a problem. That's that's like the exact opposite of the hope of a situation like that Red Wings game can give you when when everybody's just kind of like waiting for something bad to happen. That's not a good place to be. No, it's not. And in that game, too, you come out for the third period and it felt like the Kraken were in that defensive shell that we criticize whenever it comes out there that you can't start the third period just trying to defend the lead forever. And the Kraken did a good job defending in their own zone. I mean, they kept the Canes to the outside. A lot of those shots on Joey Decord uh, were pretty low quality, just ones he could grab up with his glove and, and no danger there. But you can't spend that much time in your D zone, expect not to get burned. And I, I think the Kraken realized that it, this is one of those tough things about the way that they're losing games is sometimes it's based on decisions that I actually kind of support strategically the Kraken, you know, okay. Hackstall looked at the team and said, okay, we can't sit back anymore. We need to start attacking a little bit. And I like that decision. I don't think you can sit back all third period. And right. the Kraken did start to put more pressure on the Canes. And that's a good thing. They got some good four checks going. They started cycling the puck in the offensive zone a little bit more salting away that clock as John Forslund would say. And, um, but then they just make a mistake. And, and Dave Haxtell pointed out after the game, he said, it, it was just a mistake. You just can't do it. On the rush, they had four skaters forward. Mm -hmm. And uh, Larson and Beneers kind of ran into each other. You had kind of three guys all run into each other after you lose the puck. And it goes back the other way. And the Canes have a four on two that is still kind of misplayed by Vince Dunn. Mm -hmm. And the result is just an easy goal for Carolina in transition on a play where if you're the Kraken, you just, you have to have more skaters back. You can't have four guys caught up the ice, knowing the score, knowing the situation. And it really was the only mistake that they made in the third period. The only like real, you know, big mistake they made, but it ended up in the back of their net and ended up costing them the game. Yeah. And oh man, it's a, it's a tough one. That's, that's one of those, like a mistake leads into another mistake, which leads to a goal kind of situations, right? It's the, it's the decision to have all four people go up and the chaos that that then produces. And then it's the, the misplay by Vince Dunn, where he has the opportunity to really kill that, that whole sequence for uh, Carolina. If he's just able to stop that, that pass across, it's, it's a really, really tough situation. And, and it's, Man, I mean, it's just one of those, like, is this a problem for the Kraken, RJ? Is, are they, you know, we've talked about this going way back to when they first hired Dave Haxall, right? He likes to activate his defensemen, right? That was something we talked about. We talked about him with Shane Gostisbehere back when he was the coach of the Flyers and, and whether or not, you know, the Kraken should bring him in during the expansion draft process or maybe he was a free agent at the time and maybe they should sign him. Like, these were some of the earliest conversations you and I had about the Kraken once they had their coach in place. Do you think that we're seeing this year really like just some some issues with his offensive scheme, right? Like his just his offensive philosophy of having those defensemen step up because as great as it's been to see Jamie Alexiak kind of skate around the offensive zone and find guys or when Will Borgen's able to sneak in and get a backdoor chance, it also leads to those situations. We've seen a lot of stretch passes, particularly up the middle, really burn the Kraken this year. I mean, I think about shorthanded goals given up that the power play's given up or shorthanded opportunities that they have or five-on-five -five instances like with this one that leads to that game-tying goal. 
do you think that the Kraken maybe just need to look at that as as an idea, as part of their identity and say, right now we're not playing good enough to really maybe do this. Maybe we need to, to change things, simplify things a little bit. Of course, it's hard. On the flip side, they're not scoring. Right. And, and so the, you're activating the D and doing that kind of stuff. That's generally what will kickstart the scoring for you. And, and that can be helpful. And it's the kind of change that I don't know that you can make on the fly at this point in the season. It's the kind of thing that's really just embedded into your systems, right? And certainly it's the kind of thing that Dave Haxwell has been doing forever to make that big of a change right now. I don't know that you can really effectively do it and kind of not just mess everyone up uh, where you get a whole bunch of confusion, a bunch of discord between people. I, I don't know. I mean, it's the, uh, for me, the solution I think should be fairly simple. And it's just, and I'll, I'll harp on this all the time, situational awareness. It's one of my favorite things to, you know, to talk about, but like, situation awareness. Yes, it's kind of second nature for you to jump up into the play if you're a defenseman and get involved in this hackstall system. You know what the system is. You know you're supposed to do that. But you have to know when you have a lead in the third period, maybe hold back just a little bit. I mean, these players are smart enough to know that, to recognize the situation and, and just have that in the back of your mind at all times. And I think something that simple could have prevented something like this where if you are, are Adam Larson and you know, okay, it's the third period, we have a one goal lead, I'm going to hang back no matter what happens. Whatever the, you know, maybe we pass up on a really good rush chance, whatever, I'm staying back. That tends to solve that problem. And I think that to me, it feels like that's doable. Like you should mm -hmm. be able to kind of have that in your mind. Um, I know it's a fast paced game and I know, you know, there's a split second decisions. It's all moving very quickly. But just to have that situational awareness, I think, would solve a lot of these problems. I, I don't know. And I mean, it's something that we'll, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But um, like in the Florida game where it, Joey Decord actually kind of he did say that was his fault for going behind the net on the rim around there. It was the most unlucky bounce. I'll defend him till the end of time for yeah. that one. But he still said he's like, I got to know that it's it's high up in the glass and we ha and it's a th the third period and we have a lead. And so I should just be playing that safe and stay in net. And that's kind of different than the justification I was thinking about. But he's talking about situational awareness. Right. He's talking about being really risk averse when you have a lead in the third period. And I think that's maybe something that given the Kraken have had these leads, given that they've blown these leads, something they might need to internalize a little bit more. Yeah, it's something that the players could work on. I mean, that's another thing, too, where, again, that's it's also partially on coaching, right? Remind guys of the situation. Right. Every stoppage, every time they're on the bench, you talk to your defenseman, right? Whether it's whether it's Haxtell, whether it's Lowry, whether it's Jay Leach, whoever it is. But somebody should be kind of really preaching that if that's their philosophy. Do you think it's possible that their philosophy in a situation like that, RJ, is to kind of go for the kill where it's just look, hey, we've got a one goal lead. Let's try to make it a two goal lead. Put the game away. I don't know that that's Haxtell style, though. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't seem like it is. And certainly not the way that they came out in the third against Carolina in that game. Or I how mean, they, you know, play... they certainly were not going for the kill. No, or how they play overtime. Where it's just yeah. don't, definitely don't go for that. Don't go for the win. Let's just keep bad things from happening. So, yeah, it, it is one of those where it, it feels like, yeah, really, it, it feels like if that's going to be like your three on three overtime philosophy, it's kind of interesting that we're not seeing that as their defend the lead. Right. And I get it. You don't want to go into full prevent defense mode. Right. All you do is prevent yourself from winning the game. But it is kind of interesting that we're not seeing the Kraken play a little bit more conservative when they are up by two or when they're up by one late. 
Um, or even when, you know, you're, you're, you're probably least favorite saying of yours, which is you play for a tie, right? You look at that Florida situation and you just kind of play for that point. You get it to overtime. That's what good teams do is they get it to overtime. They pick up that, that point and, and you get out of there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's only so much you can do to play for the tie when a stanchion bounce comes into play, yes. but still, I, you know, I don't like the, the way the point system is set up. It incentivizes that yeah, it you does. should play boring. You should play for that tie. If you're trying to get those points, some games are worth more than others. Overtime games are worth more than other games. And yeah, if I mean, it, it's difficult because you're so bad in a shootout. But, you know, those games are worth more. You at least get the point if you lose. It's half a win. Um, so I, I don't mind that third period philosophy. You don't have to be bad in the shootout. You just got to trot the big cat out there. That's all you got to do, Hackstall. Um, all right. So we talked about that then from the offensive kind of, you know, Hackstall's mentality, what he brought to this team originally, all that stuff as far as the the defensemen maybe activating that that kind of focus on offense coming from the back end. On the flip side, RJ, I want to talk about once that situation does develop and there is that odd man rush coming back the other way, I don't feel like the Kraken this year have defended that nearly as well as they have in years past. And this will also kind of bleed over into the PK unit, which has struggled mightily this last week as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not like trying to call out Jay Leach specifically, but this was something that he's been in charge of for the Kraken all three seasons. And through the first two years, that was something that the Kraken were really, really good at, right? They struggled early season one when it came to defending odd man rushes or defending one-on-one situations that maybe weren't always physical. He really worked with the guys. They got a lot better on those situations. Last year, the team was great at defending. They were great on the PK. They were really, really solid at doing all that stuff. It feels like they've gotten away from that, RJ, right? I look at, again, not to just keep calling him out, but I look at Vince Dunn with that odd man rush for Carolina, and he just drops to a knee and has this mat, and he doesn't have his stick all the way on the ice, right? And that's what allows that pass to get through instead of him dropping down to his belly and really laying out there. Or at the very least, if you're going to drop to a knee, getting his stick all the way down on the ice so that pass cannot get across. That's a simple thing right that's something you should just always do that's like best practices as a defenseman um i look at the pk right giving up three straight goals in detroit uh you look at the one opportunity florida gets in that entire game Kraken do a great job of staying disciplined they take only one penalty but you give up the power play goal and then you let that get to you and and the momentum of the game change and the pk is just so passive now rj they're not getting in passing lanes they allow so much puck movement from other teams power plays is it time for you know maybe on the defensive side of things rj whether it's the pk or just when it comes to those situations defending especially if the offense is going to be giving up odd man rushes gotta really know how to defend those do you think the kraken maybe work on that uh at some point here soon Maybe. I mean, I, I, I don't know that they're necessarily even identifying that as, a, as an area to work on. I think they're focused more on just getting the scoring going. But it's tough because, like, you know, Vince Dunn on that play, like that that's something that not that Jay Leach is necessarily telling him as far you know, you want to get the stick down, you want to block the pass, right. you want to take away the pass instead of the shot. That's something he's been taught since he was probably five years old or even younger, right? Yeah. To, to take away the pass. That's what you're taught since, since might hockey, you know, at a certain point, it's just kind of executing in those certain spots. And, you know, as far as like Jay Leach and, and coaching the D pairs, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, at even strength, you're not talking about the PK. Um, but when you're coaching the D pairs, like, 
two of these D pairs have stayed consistent from, from last season to this one. Like you, right. you'd hope that they'd kind of just be able to pick up where they left off. And I think you have seen a, more miscommunications, whether it's from the Dunn Larson pair or Borgen Alexiak, which I know they, you know, had the ability to maybe get lost sometimes last season. That's why you weren't the biggest mm -hmm. fan of that pair, but it seems like it's gotten a little bit worse this year. And I, I don't know where to start on on Dumoulin Schultz. Like I'm just hoping the chemistry kind of picks up and figures itself out. But a lot of those misreads, you know, Brian Dumoulin's kind of in the middle of them, or he's right around there, and and it's you know it's getting to be a problem. Um, so I mean, I think maybe that that third pair is one where Jay Leach might need to kind of focus on and help build that chemistry there. Um, as as far as the PK, I agree with you completely. They have they've been so passive. Um, and, and just it gives the opponents a lot of time to work with the puck, to to think with it, to work it up top. Uh, and especially if you're going to be that passive, you need to take away anybody in front of the net, anybody who could be tipping pucks. And you look at that Florida Panthers game and, and those two goals basically off of point shots. And, and the second one, especially the tying goal, Matthew Kachuk with the high tip. If you're going to give you know the Panthers that much space up high, whether it's on the PK or even strength, you have to be able to take away anyone who can tip pucks and they're just not really doing that. Mm -hmm. I, and the PK has been difficult too, because they started the season so hot. I think they were, yeah. what, it was like 11 straight, 14 straight, something like that. that yeah. They killed off to start the season. And now, you know, they've been really bad of late. Now that kind of leads them right into the middle, you know, middle of an A and an F is a C and they have a, they have a C right now. I think they're 15th in the NHL, right in the middle of the league, middle of the pack. Um, but in that going in the direction it's going, I think it's worrisome because at the start of the season, teams, you know, maybe don't have a ton of film on you and what your PK is doing with the new personnel with Belmar out there, you know, and then after a few games, you've got some film to work with. You've got the ability to make adjustments and look at what the other team's PK has been doing. And I think other teams are seeing that and they're adjusting. And I think the Kraken, you know, it's it's always this game of adjustments. They're going to have to adjust back um, because teams are, are seeing how passive they're being and they're kind of exposing them. Yeah. No, it, it is something there. They are kind of right there, dead middle of the pack. And yeah, they had they'd gotten through the first, what was it, five games of the season with only one power play goal, you know, one goal given up, that PK unit. And then since then, it's been four. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously trending in the wrong direction. It's something they got to work on. You talk about the D pairs, though. And I mean... I'm I'm with you. I think I think Dumoulin has been getting better. I think like he is starting to settle in, but it does feel like all too often some of the issues are always with that pairing out there. I feel like that is the one pair. The way they've improved the most, RJ, is realistically they're just not joining the offense as much, right? Justin Schultz isn't joining offensive rushes as much, so the the odd man rushes against just then Brian Dumoulin have been cut down a lot and that's partly what's made that line uh that defensive pairing look better um but when I go to you know money puck and I sort by defensive pairs that have a hundred minutes together this year so these are like the rock solid D pairs right that never get broken up these are usually teams top pairings right on defense these are the ones and you look at expected goals percentage and Dunn Larson is 21st out of 25. It's not good, right? That puts you in the bottom third of realistically, if you're thinking about teams' top defensive pairings, the Dunn Larson pairings in the bottom third. And that's one that's kind of weird to think about when it comes from, you know, they're they're giving up chances. What's interesting about it is RJ, they're really just high event. 
when you compare them to the other ones, right? Like six, six um, expected goals for is very high looking at most of the D pairs on this list, but 6.8 expected goals against is even higher. Uh, I'm looking at it that I think that's actually tied for the highest expected goals against it is with uh, Shea Theodore and McNabb over in Vegas. So you look and, and these are high event um, D pairings. And when you go by goals against Alexiak Borgen is right there too. another high event expected goals for and against defensive pairing. The Kraken two their two D pairs that have played a hundred minutes together are both in the top they're they're one in three in expected goals against. Like that's a problem. Yeah, it is. And I mean it's uh, like it, the Larson Dunn pair is just it's been kind of confusing to me how they've played this season. And when you highlighted them, you know, for this week as a, as a talking point for us, I, you know, I, I dug, you know, a little bit deeper with the stats as you did. And I, the first thing I looked at too, cause Vince Dunn, I feel like there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation around him this season, even though I think he was one of the biggest talking points going into the season where, yeah. okay, Vince Dunn, he's got this big contract. Now he came off a really good season but it was kind of an anomaly for him career-wise. It was this big jump up to a new level. Has he been able to maintain that level of play, to maintain that level of production? Can he do it? Um, and I think it certainly looked different than last season. Um, I mean, the first thing I think most fans are looking at is, is maybe the counting stats, and you look at Vince Dunn, tied for the team lead in points. He's got seven points in nine games. Um, but a lot of those points came from for him last season at even strength uh interesting though five of his seven points are uh not at even strength the four on the power play one shorthanded for vince dunn uh and then adam larson on the other side of that d pair because he put up some pretty good point numbers with with vince dunn last year just by virtue of being on that pair uh, adam mm -hmm. larson still doesn't have a point this season yeah. That's kind of weird where you have a D pair where one of those guys um, is tied for the team lead in points. The other one has zero. Um, so it kind of shows how little's actually getting done at even strength with those mm -hmm. two. And when you're high event, you know, a lot of events for a lot of events against, and you're not really scoring a ton at even strength. I mean, that's going to, you know, the results it kind of speaks for itself. The results aren't going to be good there at even strength. No, they're not. And it's, I mean, it's, it is interesting because that's something we talked about with Vince Dunn was, could he repeat this? And we both kind of came to the same conclusion of if he does, it's going to have to look different, right? Like the odds of him having that kind of five on five production year to year is, is small. Most guys don't do that, particularly somebody who kind of has that first season of it at 26, right? Like that would be an exceptionally late bloomer to do that. So he is finding different ways of doing it, as you pointed out. The other thing I find interesting is their deployment is very different. Dunn Larson to from last year to this year. Granted, I'm only looking at Vince Dunn at the moment, but I'm sure if I looked at Larson, it'd be the same. They're starting Hacksaw starting them in the D zone a lot more than he did last year. Vince Dunn last year, offensive zone starts 66%. This year it's 57.1. That's a big difference. And I know, you know, it's, it's still a small sample size early in this year, but it's enough of a sample size where it's not like one game is really throwing this number completely. And so I do wonder if maybe that's, that's playing a role, but still, I just think it's odd that, and I think it speaks to why the Kraken are maybe having some of the defensive struggles that they have. I don't think of the Kraken as being built for back and forth hockey, RJ. It, they, they're not a team built for that. They have defensive centers, right? We've talked about that last week. We talked about that the week before with, are they too built for the playoffs, right? When you've got guys like Matty Beneers, Alexander Wenberg, and Yanni Gord, 
You're not built for a fast-paced, back-and-forth style of game. And yet, like I said, you look at the events of these games and it's very back-and-forth. You have these D-pairs put in situations where... Yes, they're getting a lot of expected goals for compared to other D-pairs, but they're also getting a ton against because there's just a lot of stuff happening on the ice when they're out there. I wonder if the Kraken just need to try to settle games down a little bit here and just try to control them more. Yeah, well, I think one thing we can tend to forget is that this is not too dissimilar to what happened last season, right? Yeah. Um, they were having a lot of chances for, a lot of chances against uh, for much of last season. The difference was they were able to outscore any kind of defensive problems that they had. Yes. Uh, that team was... Uh, after watching this team for nine games, last season's run just looks all the more incredible with them being able to put up so many seven, eight goal games last season with all these different goal scorers. And um, it, it sure does feel more unsustainable now yes. after nine games of this team. Um, but I, I just don't think any team is really going to be able to throw those seasons together two in a row unless maybe you're like Colorado and there's obvious stars or Edmonton, you know, that that can do that. Um but yeah, I think the Kraken maybe do need to kind of settle into more of that defensive mindset. And it's tough to get out of your head, right? If you had so much success mm -hmm. last year from being a team that outscored all your problems, you know, maybe maybe you're tempted to think you can play the same way this year. But as, as we kind of predicted before the start of the season, you know, with the Kraken, everything's going to look different. If they're going to have yep. success, it's going to look very different than the success from last season. I think they kind of need to embrace that. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is, oh man, that's, it's just something to think about. I want to hear from everybody also too. like, let us know in the comments, tweet at us, all that kind of stuff. Because as I ask you this question, RJ, I want to ask everybody, would you be okay with the Kraken being a team that tries to win games three, two or two, one and plays for overtime, right? Like that's how they, that's how they make their way up the standings. That's how they hold on to a wild card spot. If they're into one is they are a team that's going to try to play lower event hockey. They're going to try to control the pace of play, dictate that to other teams, kind of shut things down defensively. Don't get too many great looks offensively and just kind of play boring controlled two one hockey. Do you want that? Do you think that's in their best interest? Like, how do you feel about that idea? Well, I think those are two slightly different questions. Do no, I want yes. that? You know, maybe no. not. Do I think it's in their best interest at this point? Yes. Um, you look at the building blocks that you have with this team and what's been going right. And goaltending has got to be at the top of the list. And you have to be able to, you know, to adjust and kind of embrace that, right? Mm -hmm. This is the team that we thought the Kraken might be in their first season, I think, where, you know, they they probably thrive off of these low scoring games. They have good goaltending. The defense is solid enough. And occasionally you have guys who can chip in goals now and again. Um, that might be the way they need to play these games. I don't I don't like watching that style no. of hockey. I don't really I don't really like it. But you know what? Winning is more fun than losing, I guess. And um, I think that might be the direction they have to go, certainly if the, the goal scoring doesn't pick up. And also, you know, with a guy like Andre Burakovsky out long term, I mean, there's a big goal scorer for you who, you know, is not going to score a single goal for you until at least December. 
And, you know, can you afford to try and outscore your problems when you don't have someone like him? Even if some of these other guys start to pick it up, even when Matty Beniers kind of opens the floodgates and starts scoring goals, you know, Oliver Bjorkstrand, if he continues to produce, uh, you know, if Alex Wenberg even chips in a few goals, you're still not going to have Burakovsky around. Um, And I don't know that you can be that team that scores six, seven, eight in front of Martin Jones like you were last season. Yeah, (laughs) that just uh, doesn't seem like it's in the cards this year. No, it, it doesn't. Even though the Kraken goaltenders, as you said, are playing really well. I mean, 9-12 save percentage for Joey Decord, RJ. I mean, we talked about, especially you did, how hard it is for a Kraken goaltender to have a high save percentage because of how kind of the Kraken play. Uh, and even Grubauer, 8-9-6 isn't that bad for a Kraken goaltender, right? That's pretty good given what the, the how the team in front of him plays. You mentioned Matty Beniers. He was a big source of, of I mean, he's he's been a big source of comments through a lot of post games, but especially this last one, RJ. Um, everybody talking about Matty Beniers, he's not really showing up. He's costing himself big when it comes to the contract extension, all of that stuff. He's coming off that Calder campaign, RJ. And I I talked about it on that post game for but for anybody who wasn't there, I'll kind of quickly summarize. Matty Beniers Yes, he's not really producing offensively, and he does need to do more, right? Three assists through nine games is not enough for your quote-unquote top-line center, for your future franchise star player that you're going to build around, all of that stuff. He does need to do more. I'm not saying that he, he doesn't. But I going back to when I very first watched him, it was clear that his strengths are not in point production. They're not in highlight reels. They're not in... You know, he drives offense more so by keeping the opposing team's offense from doing anything so the rest of his team can do stuff rather than him personally going out there and creating offensive chances and being a creative player and all of those kinds of things. And so I, I talked a lot on that last post game about like, look, that is the history of him at all of the stops along the way. That's what he's done at World Juniors, RJ, when he was playing with Team USA, he was the guy that they deployed basically like Tampa deployed Yanni Gord all those years, right? Go out there. Our big guys are resting. Make sure nothing happens. You know, just go out there and just single-handedly keep the other team just kind of stuck in their zone. But, you know, you don't necessarily have to score. That was his job on those teams. That was kind of his job on the Olympic team. I think we all forget he was an Olympian <laughs> a couple of years ago. It's weird to think about. It's really weird. But that was also his role on that was just, hey, go be an energy disruptor. Don't Don't really try to create offense as much. And that was what he was also at Michigan particularly during his draft year, uh, you and I pulled up my scouting report on him. And anybody can just go back and watch the scouting report that I put out um, for Matty Beniers, not the update, but the original one. And I talk about all of the same things everybody's talking about Matty Beniers right now. I talk about before that draft ever took place, right? Matty Beniers is just, he's not that kind of guy. So I do think we need to change our expectations around Matty from, from just a, He's our star player. He is our star player, but he's a star player more in a Jonathan Taves, Patrice Bergeron, Kopitar way rather than a Jack Hughes, Connor McDavid kind of way. Like he's just not built that way. 
Yeah, and I went back and watched that scouting video this morning, and it just—it sounds like the like it could be could have been recorded today, right? Yeah. Talking about you know what what is, keeps him from really producing the most offensively, how he kind of struggles to maybe get lost and find little zones in the offensive, mm -hmm. little areas in the offensive zone, uh, you know, to to find those loose pucks. How he'll sometimes just get sandwiched between a couple defenders and, and can't really get his way out of there. You know, these little things that you're kind of seeing game in game out, and of course you, you praised uh, you the motor the hustle the defensive awareness which is all there watching him yeah. um but you know you had concerns about whether or not he could really score at a top level in the nhl and i think he exceeded your expectations certainly last season maybe yeah. even you know the expectations of where he could ever get to and so i think we all kind of adjusted our expectations to think okay well he's going to take another step forward production wise and i i think we may have kind of seen at least for now at least for his you know 20 21 year old self you know the, the kind of the ceiling of what he can do scoring wise and that's what happened last season um i do also think that with maddie Meniers too there's this element that he he's been asked about hackstall's been asked about a couple times and they kind of shrug it off and, and you certainly don't want to like you know em embrace it or, or give the media or anyone a reason to believe this is going on but it, it's the question of whether teams are kind of targeting him a little bit more now with mm -hmm. him being the calder winner and, and getting a little bit more attention and it's something the team's brought up just about the team in general right nobody's going to take us lightly this year but i think that's been especially so for maddie veneers everyone's keying in okay he's their calder winner he's their number one center and if you look at the way the you know what's going on for the Kraken offensively with Matty Beniers not having a goal yet, it seems like a pretty solid formula to to beat this team is to make sure you play really physical on Matty Beniers, you shut him down and what he's trying to do and what his line's trying to do. Mm -hmm. Other teams have had success with that through nine games. If you can do it, that's how you shut down this team. And so I think he's getting a little bit extra attention there too, uh, whether it's from opposing coaching staffs, opposing players, opposing, you know, maybe video coaching staffs who are trying to show their players, okay, here's what we can do to shut this guy down. I think he's got more of a microscope on him. He wouldn't tell you that. He, you know, he'd say, oh, it's, you know, it's the same, the stuff happens. But I do think that is a bit of a factor here as well. It does. And that's also where this early part of the schedule, RJ, where, you know, the vast majority of these games, what is it, six of their nine games have been played on the road so it plays right mm -hmm. into other teams doing that if they want to right they get last line change you know which deep pair which forward lines you can send out there against the maddie Beniers line um when you're com you know when you're starting things up after a stoppage and so that that does kind of lend to that idea as well just the fact that the kraken haven't necessarily been put in the positions where they can dictate where they're using maddie Beniers. Uh, to the yeah, I think of a moment too in the Panthers game. I don't know if you remember this, but the Kraken had a big defensive zone faceoff they had to take in the third period, and Maddie Beniers was out there to take it. And Dave Haxel was trying to get a line change to get Pierre Edward Belmar out there instead of Beniers. And because Panthers got last change, the refs like, nope, you know, Belly, get back on the bench. You can't make this change. You know, that's something they don't have to worry about at home. But on the road there, Beniers is forced to take that faceoff. He loses that faceoff. Panthers get some possession in the offensive zone, and then you know his his lines kind of hemmed in there that whole shift. Right, and it speaks to the five-on-five five production for him hasn't been there the way it was in years, it, last year, really, in years past, yes, because he's played so much. <laughs> in year past. In year past, because uh, we talked about that with him too, right? Getting him more involved on the power play was a way of him taking that next step from a point production standpoint, because last year, only four of his 24 goals were on the power play. Only six of his 33 assists were on the power play. This year, he's only got three assists, RJ. That's his overall point total. Two of them have been on the power play. 
right? He only has one five on five point through nine games. Like I, I, you know, I, I, again, I hear everybody when they're saying he needs to produce more. I'm with you. He needs to produce more. He does. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. On the flip side, RJ, you go and you look at how these lines are performing for the Kraken and whatever group Matty Beneers is with, they are the best performing, at least from an, again, expected goals percentage standpoint, they're the Kraken's best line, right? Whether he's playing with McCann and Eberle or Ty Cartier and Eberle, and I bet it'll stay the same tonight with Cartier and Bjorkstrand, the Matty Beneers line is the best you know, driver of offense or keeper of bad things from happening line the crack and have. And I do think that that, you know, the only constant there is Matty Beniers. Yeah. And I think there, there's certainly something to be said for that. And especially with Ty Karche being on his wing and look, Karche is a good player. I like, I like what he brings. I like the way he plays the game, but still, this is a guy who was on a fourth line in the AHL last season, and he's still a rookie in the NHL. Uh, this is someone who's not necessarily going to be driving offense a ton. And, and it's, you know, Matty Beniers kind of has to make up for that a little bit, especially as opposed to maybe a Jared McCann being on that line, who's an NHL 40 goal scorer. Those are just different calibers of players. Um, and Matty Beniers, I think, has done a good job of that. I think we kind of sorted this out on the last post game, but just you need somebody on that line who can just go out and score a goal themselves if they need to. And there's, mm -hmm. there's those players all around the league, but the Kraken really just don't have a guy like that. Jared McCann is the closest they have to it. I think at times, certainly when he's on, when he's hot, he is that guy. But, you know, he's not at the level of, of you know, a true star player in the NHL. You know, we were talking about William Nylander, someone who might be available uh, next year. He, you know, he's, he's just not at that level. And I think Ultimately, they just need someone there who can get things going when Maddie's doing his normal solid thing, but he's not going to take over games and provide those goals for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, that that's where Bjorkstrand kind of going to that that top line comes in? Because Bjorkstrand, arguably more than any other Kraken player so far this year, has looked like that guy. Yeah, certainly the last few games, he's been the closest thing they've had to that guy. And I think that is probably part of the thinking of it. Just put somebody there who can create that offense by himself. Uh, you saw in the Carolina game, he comes in like one on two against Brent Burns and another defenseman, cuts to the inside and just creates a goal out of nothing himself. Mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of need someone like that on that line. And Bjorkstrand has it going right now. It, it, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and I will push back a little bit on Ty Cartier. I think the one thing Ty Cartier can do is generate offense. I don't know that he can do too much else, realistically. Like, he's not the best defender in the world or anything like that. You're not, you know, expecting to see him out there on a PK, per se. But, um, you know, you look at, like, expected goals per 60. He's by far and away the Kraken's leader. You think about how many shifts, RJ, right, where the Kraken are able to get it out of their zone, and who is the player kind of streaking down the ice? It's Ty Cartier. Right. He's the guy that is willing to shoot on an offense where maybe they don't always want to. He's the one guy willing to pull the trigger there. Um, so I do think that's partly why I like a Ty Cartier with a Maddie Beneers is it almost kind of forces Maddie to have to be more offensive. It puts him in situations where he does have this winger who is out there really actively trying to score every time he's on the ice and hopefully then having a, you know, a, a better facilitator of that uh, another creator out there like Oliver Bjorkstrand is uh, will help kind of make that whole line come together but yeah it's 
it is something the Kraken need to work on is getting Maddie going. It's something Maddie's got to work on. And, you know, yeah, if, if it is just other teams are sending you their best, well, that's this is what you got to do. If you want to be one of the best, you got to overcome the best. You, you got to find ways to work around that and power through. And um, and it's got to matter more than just when it comes to expected goals. Right. I keep bringing that up for Maddie Veneers. At some point, it's got to be actual goals. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. You can, you can ask expected by whom all you want. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the, the real goals have to come. And, and again, nothing against Ty Karchi. I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't no, I trying know. to say anything against the way he plays, but the way I see it on that line, ideally what you want is you want Matty Veneers. You want a power forward, which is Ty Karchi. I mean, that's, yep. that's yep. his game. And then you want an elite finisher. Yeah. And, you know, and Karchi can't be both. He's got, you know, he's the power forward on that line. And then you just want an elite finisher there. Yeah, so we'll see if Bjorkstrand can be that guy. What do you have, RJ? I've been dictating a lot of, of what we've been doing here. What do you That's have? True. Yeah, no. So I've got I've got a few different things. I mean, first of all, just really quickly um, talking about the goalie situation because I, I think yep. we're probably in agreement with this. But I wanted to check in on you because uh, one thing that's notable about the three games that happened this week is that Joey Decord started all of them. Yes. We didn't see Philip Grubauer at all this week, and uh, I know certainly coming off of the the first and the second games, we predicted Grubauer will get the next start or Grubauer will get the next start. Uh, we were wrong twice on that. So, what do you think of that decision uh, by Dave Haxtell to start? Joey Decord three games in a row. Do you support it? Do you not? Um, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and, and were you kind of confused at the time? I, yeah, I wasn't too confused at the time just because, you know, if you think about it, that's what Haxtell did last year with Martin Jones. He rides the hot hand. He rides whoever the team is playing in front of better, right? Like there was lots of times last year where Martin Jones looked like a worse goaltender than Philip Grubauer, but Martin Jones is getting goal support. The team is winning games with Martin Jones in net. Martin Jones gets to be the goalie, right? Uh, and so I, I think that's this is just a continuation of that, right? The team has picked up all of their points this season, RJ, with Joey Decord in net. So why wouldn't he keep going back to that well? On the other hand, Joey Decord, I mean, he's got, you know, quality start percentage of 600. That's really solid. Uh, the 9-12 save percentage we talked about. I mean, he's playing well. Uh, I know he's taking on the whole situation in Florida, Again, may, yes, maybe because it's a tie game with like five minutes or whatever left. You don't want to do that, but it, I'm not going to put that on him. Uh, that's a goal that, you know, Philip Grubauer probably would have done the same thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's a little unfair. I don't know. I think it's probably time to just try to get Philip Grubauer going. See if you can do something, shake up the team, especially after blowing multiple two goal leads. Like, even if it's not necessarily on the goaltender that that's happened, it's not a trend you want to continue. So if a goaltending change, you know, kind of sparks something there, you go for it. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to it. I understand what he's doing though. Yeah, I understand. In fact, I like it. I'm actually was really pleasantly surprised and, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised given that you're right. There were times last year where Martin Jones maybe wasn't playing the best of the goalies, but he was getting the goal support and he was getting the wins and Haxtell stuck with him. Um, but I, I was a little surprised to see that he was willing to go there that early with Joey Decord because, I mean, this is a newer goalie. I know he was around the last two years in the organization, but not a ton of NHL experience, whereas Martin Jones, a, you know, many year veteran of the NHL. He's been a starter. He's gone 
gone to a cup final. Um, whereas I think this does require a little bit extra trust from your coach to be able to give a goalie like this three starts in a row. But I'm so glad that he's doing this. Uh, I think we can both agree, Dylan, that Decord was not costing them games at any point no. during that three game stretch. It was other factors. Um, and so as long as your goalie is you know, giving you chances to win games, playing well enough, I love it because one of my big worries this season was Philip Grubauer getting burnt out by the end of the season that Hackstall wouldn't end up trusting Joey Decord to start the maybe 30 plus games that I think he really needs to start this season to make it a proper workload balance. But now I just, I have no worries about that. No reservations whatsoever. He's going to get Joey into the games that he needs to get into and Grubauer, assuming they can turn this thing around and they've got a playoff push to look forward to, they can get, keep him fresh for when the playoffs roll around. And, and that's when you really want him at his best. I think last season actually, you know, wasn't the plan, but I think that injury kind of helped him. It kept him yeah. from having to play too many games and, and took the focus off of him needing to be the guy. And so when it came to playoff time, he looked fresh. He looked really solid. He looked maybe the best that he has as a Kraken. So um, that's just one area where now I, I feel kind of super relieved that I think Hackstall is going to do the right thing. Yes, definitely. And yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers both this year and last year. I mean, I, this year it's a little bit more complicated between uh, Grubauer and Joey as to like, you know, different numbers will say one is the guy. Last year, I mean, their numbers very much said Philip Grubauer is the guy you should be playing more. Uh, but Martin Jones had 10 more wins. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, kind of what drove it. But like expected, you know, goals saved above expected was heavily in Grubauer's favor. Quality starts heavily in Grubauer's favor. Save percentage, if you want to go traditional, heavily in Grubauer's favor. Um, but we just saw that from, from Dave Haxtell. And I'm with you all day. Keep the workload off Grubauer. We saw what Grubauer could do in the playoffs last year. He's a big part of why the Kraken were able to go as far as they did was him always kind of being there for them and, and some of those low-scoring games that they won, RJ. Wow, it's almost like the team built for the playoffs, played that controlled style of game uh, in the playoffs last year, and it worked. I mean, like I said, just not to circle back around again and have the conversation again, but yeah, maybe try it in the regular season a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I think it can work for you there, too. Um, but, you know, goaltending-wise, also I should mention that Grubauer is apparently slated to start tonight, tonight against yeah. Tampa. So he'll get that opportunity in a very big game and a, a challenge against the team the Kraken haven't beaten yet, the only team the Kraken haven't beaten yet. Um, so that'll be a big game for him. Um, one thing I'm wondering with this, though, and I, I didn't really have this kind of plan to talk to you about, but I just uh, you know thought of it now. How much of an adjustment do you think you've seen from having Grubauer in goal versus Decord from that puck playing standpoint? You know, it's been a topic of conversation with mm -hmm. Joey kind of coming out of the net a lot more, playing the puck a lot more. Um, you know, he got himself involved in a board battle in Carolina. Yeah. He uh, had that unfortunate bounce go against him in Florida. But overall, aside from that crazy bounce that I really do not blame him at all for. Um, you haven't really seen it come back and burn him at all in any way that's kind of his fault. But do you think there's that adjustment from the standpoint of the defense or even the forwards kind of knowing where they need to be? Because it is like having another defenseman out there, but you do have to adjust the ways that you play the puck. This is something I'm really interested to ask the Kraken defenseman about when they come back home. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of adjustment that's like and, and, and you know how you have to behave differently. But I mean, Dylan, you're a former scout. You look for these things. I mean, what have you seen as, as far as a difference there? I, I don't know that it really makes a huge difference as far as the way the Kraken kind of been play, have been playing, right? Like, I, 
we think of the adventures of Joey Decord. I can't think of very many that really you go back and you're like, wow, that really gener helped generate that total offensive chance. It meant the defenseman didn't have to come back as far or he made this stretch pass up to the forwards and they were able to catch the other team on a line change. Like a lot of the potential, the potential is there. I'm totally with you on that, right? That is something that Joey adds that Grubauer can't or doesn't. Um, I just don't know that it's really played into what the Kraken do. I don't know that it's something that the Kraken ha are really built around, right? Like that's something you have to scheme around, really. If you're going to use it to its total effectiveness, you build around that as a team. And this very much feels like, well, the team's just kind of playing better with Joey. So I guess we're going with Joey. It's not like, oh, we're, we want to lean into Joey because he can move the puck and our guys are ready for that. How many times does Joey get the puck, play it up to a defenseman, the defenseman just still comes back and circles around the defensive zone? Right. Like it happens a lot. So I don't know that that's really that it has been that big a factor for the Kraken. Yeah. I mean, in general, I'm I'm kind of a believer that's a bigger negative than it is a positive. And I'm not saying about this just in Joey's case, but looking at the goalies who play the puck a lot, I always feel like and, and you know, maybe this is just like confirmation bias, but I always feel like I notice the mistakes a lot more than the positive plays. I feel like those happen more often. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if you just if you saw any kind of maybe even negative changes we've talked about. And, and like, I know you're probably thinking about the play where Joey plays the puck back to Brian Dumoulin and he blows a tire and then it directly yeah, leads I to mean, a goal against that But that's, again, that's, that's not, not Joey. Joey. That's, yeah, no. that's just the defenseman blowing a tire. That could happen in any situation. Yeah, if there's anything like that, because I haven't really noticed a whole lot of difference results-wise one way or the other, mm -mm. but it just feels like as a defenseman, it, you're, the MO has got to be a little different. Yeah, well, yes, as a, as a player, it is different. But like I said, if the if the team isn't schemed around it, if you're not put in a spot where, OK, we're really going to like plan around this and we are going to use them as a third defenseman. Right. Think of the Devils back in the day with Brodeur, where it was very much like, oh, if Brodeur is going to have time and space, we know he can get the puck up to us. We just don't even need to play back like we have plays designed around this. The Kraken don't have anything like that. So it's it's just kind of like. You know, it's it's like that feature that comes on the car that you're just kind of like, OK, like it's not making me buy the car. It's not making me not buy the car, but it, it's just kind of there. You don't really use it. You know, like that's that's really what it is with Joey Decord because the team is just not built for it. Fair enough. All right. So I guess the, the next thing I had to is is looking at the Kraken schedule. And, and I'm trying to think for this episode of reasons for optimism to kind of have some reasons to be optimistic because I didn't want to do the whole, you know, what's wrong with the Kraken two weeks in a row. And I yes. think you know we, we've avoided that. Now we're just, you know, we're kind of taking a deep dive into this murky pool of who knows what. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, this this week I tried to have some optimism. And one of the things that kind of struck me as maybe a reason to be optimistic was the schedule. Mm -hmm. um, and, and looking at looking at the Kraken schedule so far, they have played a lot of good teams. Yes. And looking ahead in the schedule, it, it does seem to lighten up a bit. Not with today's game, of course. Tampa is going to be, uh, you know, very difficult, of course. But after that, they come back home and, and they do play against some teams that, you know, maybe should be a little bit easier. And I look at the Kraken, they've, they've lost seven of their first nine games. Mm -hmm. But looking at the schedule, I see seven good teams. Uh, on this schedule, I see, I see Vegas, I see Colorado, Carolina, the Rangers, Detroit. Given how they've played, I'll, yeah. I'll count them as a good team here. I see Carolina and I see Florida. 
I mean, those are, are all playoff teams last year, except Detroit. Um, and yeah, they've, they've lost seven games. It hasn't, um, you know, they, they beat Carolina and Detroit and they lost to two bad teams, but generally you look at where the Kraken were last season and they were a team that took care of business against bad teams against the teams they should yep. beat. And they lost to teams that were better than them. They lost to playoff teams. And I feel like that might be a similar thread this season. Cause looking at what they can do just talent wise, goal scoring wise, it feels like these teams are just that little bit better than them right now. Yeah. Um, but you, you play Nashville again, you play Calgary again, when you come home, you play Arizona mm-hmm. and, and I see those teams and I think, Hey, you know, th- these are real chances here. And I mean, you got Edmonton twice coming up. They're actually, you know, they're actually below the crack in the standings right now. So maybe yeah. there's some hope there as well. Um, do, does the schedule give you any reason for optimism? And do you think that some of the struggles so far have been level of opponent? I think that that certainly doesn't help things. I think also the fact that you're playing so many of these games on the road doesn't help things, right? Again, you've, you've played six of your nine games on the road to start a season. Go ask any team in any sport if they want that. Nobody's going to say yes, right? That's a that's terrible. Unless you have the one freak coach who's like, well, that means I get to finish the season at home, so I will take it and whatever, blah, 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 <laughs> right? The, the one like person trying to galaxy brain and outthink it. The bottom line is you don't want that situation. Nobody does. It's a tough situation. I know the Kraken were road warriors last year, but... Again, we talked about it. That's not sustainable. No team is that like dominant on the road, really. Um, so I, I think that's a that's as as big a part of it as well as just playing these difficult teams. Um, I I think you had positive progression, really. If you look week after week after week, right? We're three weeks into the season. You look at that first week. The Kraken really struggled. I mean, remember, they lost to the Predators 3-0. Like, we were like, wow, they can't score a goal to save their lives. And then week two, it was like, okay, you can score. It's just you need to, you know, build off some of these positive building blocks you have. And then in this last one, but you lost, you know, two of those games by three goals. You you had the one win against Carolina. And then you look at this last week. And the power week. play was abysmal. Yes, and the power play was bad. You look at this last week and you're like, okay, we can score on the power play. We're scoring more. All these games are close. You're talking about two overtime games. Games, and then a game that you drop three two again off of a ridiculous bounce that like shouldn't happen you're essentially talking about three overtime games the the trend is positive it might not be you know as parabolic as we want it to be uh or anything <laughs> it's 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 a very gradual almost plateau but it's there uh, the progression is there and so if they can continue that even even when they do have to play the Tampas of the world or the Colorados or, you know, if Edmonton figures it out, you're solid. But yes, I mean, why at some point, RJ, we are going to have a bunch of games against the Sharks and the Ducks, and you're going to be able to rack up some wins. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, look at the Sharks. Free free win, uh, like they're the day before Thanksgiving. Yep. Uh, you know, free win January 30th. And uh, yeah, I'm not convinced the Sharks going to win a single game all season, uh, given how they played. And then too late in the season, you know, April 1st, April 11th, post-trade deadline. So, yeah. you know, those those games are coming. Uh, it's just been a really difficult start to the season, just as far as, as, as the schedule has gone. Um, and so that got me thinking too, like, like the Kraken still have, have played these teams, Carolina, Florida, good teams, really close. I mean, these are kind of coin flip type games mm-hmm. and it got me thinking about, okay, well, you know, why have they been losing these games? And that's something we've talked about a whole lot, but the Florida game just sticks in my mind, right? It's just one of those weird, it's off a crazy bounce and, and then, you know, giving up two goals in 11 seconds and 
Yeah. Like it made it, it made me ask the question, like, does this team kind of have that character trait where they just find ways to lose? And I think that year one team had that. I think we kind of saw all too well. It just felt like, oh man, here they're in a, you know, they're in a good spot. Time, time to find a way to blow it. I, I think personally, I think the jury's still out on that. You know, I, I we we don't know, and it's kind of hard to quantify, right? You can't. This is kind of yeah. just more of a vibes-based thing. I know that's not usually our thing on this podcast, but it just, you know, I don't know. It, it's just kind of this feeling that I have, where I, I'm wondering if they have that trait to them, because the more I think about it, these last few games they've had a lot of really good underlying signs. I think the yep. scoring is going to pick up. Maddie Beniers is not going to be goalless all year. Um, you know, the, the shooting percentage is going to rise. The finishing is going to be there at least somewhat. And they're going to be in a lot of these close games. And personally, I think the only thing that can really prevent them from getting back to at least a position where you're contending for a playoff spot somewhat is if you kind of have that trait where you just make, the wrong mistake at the wrong time. I, do you have any thoughts on this? I guess I don't have a clear yeah. question, but like, do you, do, do you think that's them or is it, am I overthinking this? I, I don't think you, I think it's a fair question to ask given what has happened, but I'm, I'm not going to agree with it. Right. Like, I think it's a fair question to ask, but I'm not going to say that it's the case. Uh, I think even if you look at year one, how much of that was just like ridiculously horrible, historic, bad levels of goaltending. Right. Like it wasn't necessarily that the team as a whole was was finding those ways to lose as much as it was just goaltending was finding ways to, to just not make a save. That was that was mostly what it was. Um, and I think last year we saw a team that was finding ways to win, like you said earlier when you talked about all of the high event, high scoring games that the team won, right? You don't, you have to be a team that can find a way to win. If you're going to, to score eight goals in like an eight, six game or score nine in a nine, eight game, right? Like the team that comes out on top there is a team that finds a way to win rather than, you know, anybody finding ways to lose. So I think last year we saw a team that could find ways to win. I'm still of the opinion that so much of what the Kraken are going through right now when it comes to scoring is just bad luck, right? Their shooting percentage is low. It's it's there. It's going to be better, right? Like, just because it has to. I mean, it doesn't have to, right? We've seen teams just be unlucky all year long. I just don't want that to be the case. But it very much feels like it's still just a bad luck. You look at goals for above expected for the Kraken, and they're at minus 5.42, Right? Like they're generating chances, they just don't convert on them. Is that because they don't have an elite level finisher beyond Jared McCann? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but not to this level, right? Like that's excessive. Uh that that you're already has that have that high a number only nine games into the season. You've essentially left five and a half goals on the board. Like you're not expecting to do that all the time. Um, so I think that there's elements of bad luck. Now the worry is you have all these elements of bad luck, like the Florida game, like these goals for above expected, not being there for you, all that stuff. At some point, does if the luck doesn't turn, do you become that team, right? Does it? Does the doubt start creeping in on your ability to actually do that, right? It becomes, oh, am I, am I not unlucky? Maybe I'm just not capable of finishing on these chances. Or, wow, we're just unlucky right now, but if we stick to the system, we're going to pull through in the long run. It's a long season, 82 games, we'll get there. Versus I maybe this just isn't supposed to work, 
right? Or the universe is just against us and there's nothing I can do, right? All of those doubts do start creeping in. I don't think we're there yet. That would be like an end of November conversation if nothing turns mm -hmm. around. Um, but I, I think right now what we're seeing is just bad luck. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, you're in a stretch against good teams like, you know, Carolina, Florida, who are, are coming back and even, you know, tying the game after you generate a lead because they're good teams and they're putting yeah. on a lot of pressure and that's a lot to withstand. And, you know, it's, it's excusable. And then it just becomes a problem if you're in that stretch in November where it's Vancouver, Calgary, San Jose, Vancouver, Chicago. Yes. And if you're still doing that, if that's really become who you are then it's time to worry. And I think then you are that team, but I, yeah. I certainly don't think you can go there yet. Just something in the back of my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's, I think it's a fair question. It's, it's something worth monitoring. Right. And if that stretch does come and this, this trend continues, that's panic button. Like, okay, maybe Ron Francis needs to kind of do something to really shake up this core group of guys. Um, but those are, those are much bigger, sadder conversations that we don't need to have right now here at the end of October, RJ. Uh, yeah. So. And, and you know, overall, I'm, I'm still weirdly feeling optimistic. I know it's been a whole nother week without, you know, the, the results that you want, but I, I feel like this thing's going to get turned around. It has. There's enough there's enough underlying positives to look at with this team to say that it can. Right? This is not a hopeless group. This is a group of guys that, you know, we know can score goals. We've we've seen them score goals. We know that many of their lines are playing really well right now and, and they're generating chances. They're just not going in right now. That's something that can change at any given time. Uh, we know the PK can play better than they played this last week. We've seen it from them this season even. So we know that that stuff can improve. Those are all positives. They're winning face-offs now, right? Like there's, there is a lot of stuff. The goaltending we talked about has been rock solid, but based on whoever's in net. Um, so there, there's enough positives to believe in the team and, and think that they can turn it around. It's just, yeah, you, you just don't want it to maybe go two months. One month is livable. You can survive that. Two months would be a little rough. <laughs> yeah, I bring on November. I think that's all Definitely. I have to say about that. And bring on Queen Anne Beer Hall, RJ, the sponsor of this podcast. Uh, bring on the big pretzels. Bring on, you know, your alcohol of choice, right? I mean, you and I aren't big drinkers, but that's a part, of, you know, a big reason why beer halls exist and, and specifically Queen Anne Beer Hall. Um, so you can enjoy all that good stuff over at Queen Anne Beer Hall while watching the crack and turn things around in November because that's what they're going to do. Uh, I think they could still turn things around tonight, RJ, and kind of put a nice little finish to the month of October just because you know you're due you're due against the lightning that's the yeah, bottom it, line what a statement win that would be though against tampa get your first ever win against the lightning in their building um yeah i, I think they're due they lost the first four mm -hmm. chance number five tonight yep and you, hey if you get that win in tampa queen Anne beer hall is going to be loud be a great place to be you'll want to have been there thank you everybody for listening to this podcast let us know your thoughts on all the ramblings that we did today again sorry it wasn't as structured as normal but it just kind of felt like given the way the team is playing and and everything going on with the team this was the appropriate way to talk about it all um definitely want to hear all your thoughts thank you all for being with us and we will see you all next time Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Chazzle Dazzle, 
Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, DJ Singletone, Duthan, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Nick, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean B, Sean O, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Ty, Wendy, where are the Slovakians at? Strife and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.